I'm going to uh, to uh, work through the passage um, as I preach um, today, so that's uh, something that's a little bit unusual. Um, uh, I've checked our book of order. I'm allowed to do that, but um, but we have uh, we have a lot to get through. Um, so uh, we're starting a new we're starting a new sermon uh, series, a new a new series of talks um, from the the story of Joseph. Um, not the Joseph of Christmas time, the the Marian Joseph. Joseph. This is a different Joseph from uh, more than a thousand years, uh, maybe as much as two thousand years before before that first Christmas. So this is the original Joseph, and um, we're gonna we're gonna be hearing the story of Joseph um, in in a moment. And uh, the reason the reason I love to preach from the Old Testament is because the characters there are so colorful. Um, uh, there's this uh, there's a um, I'll give you an example of another colorful character. Um, colorful is this great word, right? It can mean good or bad, right? And usually that's the truth, is, is that people are a mix. People, people can be very colorful. In other words, you want to avoid them, or they're very colorful. They kind of lighten up the room when you're with them. So uh, this week, um, there was an obituary in the Albuquerque Journal. Uh, maybe you heard about this. Uh, it's an obituary for Wal- Walter White. And if you follow the TV show Breaking Bad then you understand why this obituary uh, would have been printed it's it's the story of joseph uh, of um, sorry of walter white who was a chemistry teacher who later founded a meth manufacturing empire and he died of a long struggle with uh, lung cancer and a gunshot wound so um it's a, it's a reference to the um to the the breaking bad tv series because walter white was a very colorful character um and uh, the, the newspaper went along and they they ran it not on the obituary page but somewhere else so the story of um, of Walter White is kind of summed up there, and that's what we see in the Old Testament. We see colorful characters, people like Walter White, um, where we see the good and the bad. We see, you know, the the, the Bible is not hesitant to show us kind of the the less um, uh, the less wonderful uh, aspects of people that that are um, founding characters for the nation of Israel. And that's really kind of amazing if you think about it. You know, we remember some bad things about our heroes, right? We remember Jerry, uh, George Washington chopped down a cherry tree, right? But the reason we remember that is because there's a little moral. He went to his dad and said, I cannot tell a lie. You know, it was me, right? Imagine instead if George Washington chopped down the cherry tree and then killed somebody who was a witness to keep them from ratting him out. Okay, that's kind of what we see in the Old Testament. There's people who really do some terrible things, and yet they are not written out. The Bible is very unblushing in looking at these people. And I think that that gives us, gives us courage because, because we say, well, if God can relate to that person, if God can still have a story, can, if this person can have a relationship with God, then there's hope for me too. So, so, um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the story of Joseph in the um, Bible. And, uh, so, uh, why don't we go ahead and begin? You can find it in chapter 37 of your, of your, uh, um, of the first book of the Bible in Genesis, um, or you can find it up on the screens or the, uh, yellow slip in your program. So, um, so, uh, we begin in chapter 37. It says, Jacob. Jacob is, uh, also known as Israel. He is the last of the first three patriarchs of Israel. There was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, uh, later on got a new name, Israel. And it's, it, we see it both ways. We see it throughout, even in this chapter, we're going to see he's called by both names. So Jacob lived in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. And this is the story of the family of Jacob. And that's a hint right there. Up until this point, as the story's been going along, 
we kind of write off people, right? There's people who kind of get ridden out of the story and they're no longer really a factor in the story of the people of God. But this, this does not say this is the story of Joseph. This says this is the story of the family of Jacob. Now it's going to focus a lot on Joseph. We're going to see that Joseph is kind of the, the central focus for the next couple of chapters. But he's not the only focus. The whole family remains a part of the people of God. And again, that has that, that idea of, well, if, if God can continue to use people like Judah and Reuben and Simeon and Levi and the rest of these, these brothers, then maybe God has something to do with me. So it is the story of the family of Jacob. However, uh, the next few chapters will be about Joseph. So it says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. We're going to focus on Joseph, um, particularly starting in the next few chapters. But in this chapter, they're, they're telling us about Joseph, but I think the, the writer wants us to focus on the rest of the family. And we see that because he doesn't make much of an effort to make Joseph an engaging character. Joseph is young, he's obnoxious, and he's privileged. So we're going to see that. Uh, Joseph is 17 years old, and he went shepherding the flock with his brothers. They're, they're living a kind of nomadic uh, lifestyle. They have uh, herds of sheep and goats, and they follow them around in graze. And so he's with the flocks. And he was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So he tattled on them. So we're already be kind of invited to care less about jo- Joseph. So um, nobody likes tattletales, and he tattles on his brothers. And then we get another thing. He's also privileged. Now Israel, remember Israel is Jacob. Israel Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. At this point, uh, Israel has either either uh, e- eleven sons or maybe twelve. The, there's a there's some confusion in the chronology of what's going on because his mother's still alive, but in chapter thirty six or something, his his uh, mother died. So it's a little confusing. He does have eventually another brother, but he's got he's got ultimately eleven brothers, but. His father's got four wives, and so the, confu- the the timing can be a little confusing of what happened when. At this point, though, Joseph is uh, Joseph is the f- is the son of his father's old age, so he's his his dad's favorite, and he makes him this long robe with sleeves. In those days, sleeves were not something most people had for their everyday clothing. Only we see um, in in Second Chronicles, I think it says that the daughters of King David. They had sleeves on their garments, but most people did not have sleeves because it wasn't worth the extra effort. So uh, he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And we're going to see why in a minute, uh, because he's also obnoxious. Uh, Joseph has dreams, and he doesn't hesitate to share that with his brothers. They can't talk to him, but that doesn't stop him from talking to them. So once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more, and we'll see why in a moment. He said to them, listen to this dream I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Now it may seem like an overreaction, But uh, in case we miss the point, the writer tells us he had a second dream. He had another dream, and he told it to his brothers, too. Look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, 
What kind of dream is this you've had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Why is this dream significant? Why would they overreact? I mean, you know, when when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I had the strangest dream last night, we don't usually hate them and want to kill them, right? Usually we go, oh God, not another boring dream. You know, your dreams, I don't care, right? That's what most of us think when somebody tells us their dreams. Um, The reason that the brothers are concerned about um, Joseph's dreams is because of the family history. If you go back and you look at the previous couple of chapters of, of the book of Genesis, you see that there's a pattern that's emerged. Jacob is the younger son of a pair of twins. His oldest brother, his older brother is Esau, who in that culture would have had the right to receive the, the greater part of the inheritance. He would have been the heir, and Jacob would have just been kind of the younger brother. But instead, Jacob cheated his father out, or cheated his brother out of his inheritance. Um, and uh, there's a whole story about that. So Jacob was the younger brother who took the place of, and in fact actually stole the blessing of his older brother. Okay, but it's not just Jacob. Jacob learned that at his father's knee because you see um, his father was Isaac, and Isaac was also a younger brother who received the blessing. In the story of Abraham, we read how Abraham was an old man. He didn't have any children, and so his wife Sarah said, why don't you have a child with my slave girl, Hagar? So he did. And um, then 10 years later, Sarah gets pregnant. And the first thing she wants to do is to get rid of the slave girl and, and the son, Ishmael. So uh, Abraham sends them out into the wilderness. And as far as Abraham is concerned, they could die. Now, they don't because God intervenes. But there's this family history of the younger child driving out the older child and, and taking over what's theirs. So the brothers hear this dream and they go, wait a minute, this is ringing way too many bells with me. I know what you're up to. So it says dream, but it could just as easily say scheme. We're aware of what you're trying to do, um, J- uh, Joseph, and I don't care for it. So his brothers were jealous of him. And his father kept the matter in mind, probably thinking, you know, that does sound familiar. I I seem to remember doing something like that myself. So um, I just don't remember a dream. I just did it on my own. So um, continuing now in verse 12, his brothers went to pasture the father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Shechem's about 50 miles north. Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send them to you. And he answered, here I am. Uh, I don't know about you. I read here I am, meaning... Here I am and here I'm going to stay. That's actually Bible talk for here I am, I'm yours to command, I'll go wherever you tell me. So it's a weird phrase, here I am. And so his dad says, uh, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the word of, from the valley of Hebron. So 50 miles north he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, what are you seeking? He said, I am seeking my brothers. Tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Dothan's another 20-odd miles from from Shechem. So he's moving further and further from his father's protection. And now he's uh, he's a couple of days' uh, ride from his dad's um, uh, protection in Dothan. And uh, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance. And before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. Okay, so so this is not a petty squabble in the household. This is this is serious business. They conspired to kill him. They said to one another, "Here comes this dreamer. 
Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and then we'll say that a wild animal has has devoured him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, Reuben is one of the brothers, uh, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Now stop. He's wearing this robe. This is the robe that shows, that, that kind of flaunts. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dad's pet. I'm the one that dad likes. And he's 70 miles from home. Um, so why is he wearing this robe? It could be he's just happy to be loved by dad, but it could be he's trying to come over all arrogant with his brothers. He's 70 miles from home. He's, he's, this is not something you'd wear out to the fields to do a day's work. He's wearing the fancy robe with him as he traveled off to visit his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves. The, the, the writer repeats that to make sure we catch this. The long robe with sleeves that he wore. And then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water. in it. There was cisterns throughout the desert so that if there was a, a rainstorm, they would collect water. And that way, when you happen by, there might be water for you in the desert. But this one was empty. Then they sat down to eat all in a day's work. Right? They don't... They don't feel guilty. They don't feel like, oh, did, was that a good thing to do? They sit down and have lunch. But then looking up, they see a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Um, and Judah says to his brothers, you know, we could actually make a profit on this deal. He says, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? We don't get any money that way. So instead, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. So... I don't feel like killing him. I'll just sell him into slavery. Human trafficking, I'm okay with. Murder, no. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, um, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is no doubt torn to pieces. Then then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth and loins, on, on his loins and mourned his son for many days. So that is a father's uh, heartbreak, hearing that his favorite son has died. But there's also a kind of cruel irony here because the way that Jacob stole his birthright from his brother was by putting on a goat skin and pretending to be somebody else. So, so now, now, uh, just, just as he fooled his father with a goat skin, now he's being fooled with a clothing with goat's blood on them. So he's being fooled by his own sons in, in turn. So there is an irony here. And it says, All his sons and daughters sought to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol. Sheol is the grave. I'll go down to the grave to my son mourning. So uh, your problem with me, children, is you know that Joseph's my favorite. And if you had any hope killing him, I mean, this is what they're thinking, it's not what he's saying, if you had any hope that killing him might make him less my favorite, no, I'm going to go to my death um, still thinking he was my favorite. I will go to my grave mourning. 
Thus his father bewailed him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So what do we do with this? Well, there's some simple applications. There's some very easy applications. One of them is don't get involved in a criminal conspiracy because they rot from the inside. You notice this, right? Uh, Reuben and Judah both are like most criminal conspirators. They've got their own agenda. So you throw in your lot. You're one of the other brothers, Naphtali or Issachar or something, right? You say, sure, let's kill Joseph. And what do they do? They make their own plans. Reuben says, I'm going to rescue him. I'll take him home to dad and say, dad, these other brothers wanted to kill your favorite, but I didn't. I saved him, right? Or Judas says, Judas got his own agenda. He says, I want to, I want to make money off this deal. So remember that. Don't get involved in a criminal conspiracy. So don't do that. What's an, what's another application? The other application is what I titled the sermon. It's, it's, Stop digging, right? We, we know that, we know the phrase, when you're in a hole, stop digging. Uh, that's the, the Will Rogers uh, line. And Joseph is in a hole. Joseph is in a hole that in some, to some degree or another, he kind of dug himself, right? We don't know exactly why he was wearing that robe. We know that he talked to his brothers about his dreams when they wouldn't talk to him. And we know he tattled. So Joseph's not the most win, winsome character ever. He kind of dug his pit. I, I'm not saying he deserves to be killed or put in slavery, but he dug a hole, and, and now we see he at least has stopped digging. But his brothers are in a hole too. They're in this hole that has been created for them by this family history of the younger brothers cheating the older brothers out of their due. And and they had the opportunity to say, you know what, uh, this is a terrible thing that's been going on in our family for generation after generation, but I'm going to stop now. I'm just going to be content with whatever comes my way. He's my brother, and I'm going to live with that. And instead they said, no, I'm going to force circumstances to match my desires. So they basically kept digging this this family pit that they've been living in now for three generations. They said, why not four? So they kept digging the pit of this this distrust and and, and problems in their family. But um, there is also a... a um, a, a sunny side to that, that they're bad people who've made a terrible mistake. They've done something that is, that is wicked. Um, a word we don't use much. They did something that's wicked. And God's not done with them. God's not done with them. Uh, each one of these brothers goes on to have a family. The family grows and prospers, becomes a clan. The clan becomes a tribe. And they become collectively the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. They become the 12 tribes that make up this nation named after their father, Israel or Jacob. God is not done with them. But that raises the question, where is God? Do you see in this story who's missing? In all of chapter 37, there's not a word about God. And that's all the more dramatic because if you look back at the family history, God is very evident throughout the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God appears to each one, gives them a vision, says, I'll be with you. I'm going to have this future with you. But not to Joseph. Joseph doesn't get a vision of God. Can you imagine how many times he must have asked, as he's being taken into slavery in Egypt, how many times he asked, where is God? You know, dad got a vision from God. Granddad got a vision from God. Even great-grandpa Abraham, he got a vision of God. Where is my vision of God? How could God be involved in what's going on in my life right now? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had that question, where is God in my life? Maybe it was in the doctor's office. You said, where is God in this? Maybe it was at work. You know, things changed. 
divisions got shuffled. And next thing you know, you're wondering, where is God in this? Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's something that, that you don't know if you can go to school on Monday because of something that's going on there. You're wondering, where is God in this? Maybe it's in a relationship like in this family. Maybe a person who you thought you'd spend the rest of your life with says they don't want to be a part of your life. And you say, where is God in this? Well, what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is that God is still a part of Joseph's life. God is a part of Joseph's life as he is taken into slavery and throughout his his uh, his circumstances in Egypt. Uh, just because we don't see God doesn't mean that God doesn't see us. Sometimes we don't know where God is, but God knows where we are. So I, I, I would I would ask a question. You know, I think I think a lot of us. I know I want to have a God who treats me kind of the way Jacob treated his favorite son. I want to have a God who gives me. A, a, a coat with long sleeves. I want to have a God who gives me special privileges and special favors so I don't have to go through what my brothers have to go through. So I want protection from the problems of life. I don't want to have to deal with the problems that, frankly, the rest of you have to deal with. That's the kind of heavenly father I want to have. I want to have a heavenly father like Jacob was an earthly father. And yet we, we can read this story and we know Jacob's a terrible father. He's a terrible father and he had... He had lessons from his his ancestors to find out how to be a terrible father. He shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have played favorites with his wives or with their children, but he did. And yet, I want God to act the same way to me. I want God to give me special privileges, special favors. But that's not what God is about. What God is about with Joseph is He's saying, "I'm going to do something great, and I'm going to use you to do it, and it's going to be painful at times, but I will be with you." Throughout that, God is not acting toward us the way that Jacob acted toward Joseph. He's not giving us special favors. What he's doing is saying, you can be involved in something great. You can be involved in the saving of the nations. And it's going to be hard at times. But I will be with you in those times. And through you, I will bring glory to my name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, too often, Lord, we want you to be the kind of father that Jacob was, a a lousy father, and yet one who showers favors on us. Help us instead to come to see you as the kind of Heavenly Father you were to Joseph. You never abandoned him. You saw him through his difficulties, and you did amazing things through him. Help us to be that kind of people. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.